Hey, it's your old pal, Slim, and this is 70 Millimeter, a podcast for film lovers, just like you. Every Monday, I chat about recently watched movies with my close friend and artist, Danny Haas. It's insane, this animation. From beginning to end, there's never a moment where I'm like, that could have been done better. And our spiritual advisor and movie insider, Protolexis. But yeah, Trachtenberg, what if he made an alien movie? August is our animated summer theme, and this episode, our featured presentation, is my pick, Katsuhiro Otomo's Akira from 1988. Feel free to use the chapters in your podcast app to skip ahead to that discussion. Except in Spotify, they don't do chapters, I don't know. Is Akira the cornerstone of modern theatrical animation? And does the plot make any sense whatsoever? And if not, who cares? Let's find out together. Should we talk about this light and magic show or should we Thank save you. that for the end? Should we make like the end of the show, the Disney plus TV magic hour, <laughs> or should we get into it? Cause I feel like we could go pretty long on that. What do you think, Proto? We can save it for the end. Save it for the end. Okay. Light and magic. Just to reiterate, Danny brought this show to our attention last week, week before mm-hmm. light and magic documentary, the history of ILM on Disney. And Danny said it was, I think, quote, the greatest thing Disney Plus has ever done. Yes. Maybe even Disney. In gen- oh, did yeah, you say Disney has ever done? Could be the whole company itself. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna tell you right now, I might agree with you. Oof. We, we'll, we'll get into it. Okay. But maybe instead of ILM, we talk about Predator 2. Oh, <laughs> Proto, no. Proto Watch Predator 2 this week, the sequel to Arnold Schwarzenegger's Predator with uh, Danny Glover. I mean, I did too, but let's talk to Proto. Everyone watched the Predator series. Danny, your thoughts. <laughs> no, go ahead. Let's hear it. I was expecting this movie to be worse mm. uh, mm. than I found it. I uh, I found it to be a lot of fun for a you know eighties nineties uh, action flick. Mm-hmm. I think the 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 thing I couldn't get over really though is that. In the first Predator, you have Arnold Schwarzenegger really mm-hmm. at his peak. Peak. Like, he looks incredible in that Throbbing. movie. Incredible. There's a shot of that. I think I talked about it when I watched um, the movie a couple months ago. But he, in the beginning, he he's in a helicopter with a cigar holding uh, a machine gun. And yeah. it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. And then in Predator 2, we get Danny Glover. <laughs> Who looks like he just like stepped out of like a a corporate office having worked there for for 30 years. You know, he's got five kids at home Mm -hmm. in a two bedroom apartment. He is like, (laughs) life has just run a truck through him. Yeah, he is just done. But he has to fight a predator. Mm -hmm. So different (laughs) energy. (laughs) In your review, I think you said body of a retired accountant. And any breath could be his last. (laughs) 
But he goes toe-to-toe with Predator several times. Toe-to-toe. Toe-to-toe. You don't even have a rating on this one. Was this like a multi-viewing sitch? Were you doing laundry over the course of six days? (laughs) Yeah, there was a little background action with Predator 2 in my house. Excuse Um, me. You know, I wasn't, I I can't say that I gave it my full attention. Um, Mm. But- I, I gave it yeah I had a I had a positive experience watching this movie um okay yeah I don't know what else to compare it to what, what did you think what was your takeaways Danny uh I think I completely agree with you except I gave it two and a half stars it's probably the most fun two and a half star movie you can have I mean it really is crazy that we get Danny Glover in this film but it honestly in my review I talk about there's a scene after the first asinine Street fight, guns blazing. Oh. I don't even understand Nonsense. what this was happening. They walk across the street and three Mustangs drive by, <laughs> all from the 60s, all red. And I thought about it the entire rest of the movie. Like, why did this happen? But yeah, what a crazy movie. Yeah, at the time, I well, I guess Lethal Weapon maybe come out a few years before that. So it was probably like hot off the heels of his successful mm. role in, in Lethal Weapon to get Danny Glover in another action movie franchise. Um, looking back, it's not my favorite of the Predator movies. But, I mean, they're all like three-ish stars after that. Speaking of Predator, I think both of you have watched Prey since we last mm. chatted, mm-hmm. right? So Danny, what did you think? I thought Prey um, was very good. And I, I think I loved the story quite a bit. And the actress is amazing. The story itself is kind of amazing of her going out to uh, kill the thing that's hunting her to become whatever. I don't know what her end game was. I guess to become the chief fist of the tribe. Or even I think probably just to be considered a Comanche warrior, period. Yeah, the, yeah, the war. But it's just, a, it's such a great story. Um, her performance is killer. Her When she's training with that axe or the tomahawk on a string trunk to trunk of those trees. I was mesmerized. It was amazing. There's so much about this film. That's just super cool to watch. Trunk to trunk. Yeah. The action. (laughs) It's about to make a, Oh, what's that movie? Easy. (laughs) Jared Leto's. We're not going to talk about Requiem. We can't. I was about to make a Requiem for a dream gag and I couldn't even put the words together. Did I get the Proto Four Star Prey? Uh, it did. Yeah, I um, yeah, I had a great time watching this. I was really impressed by how what how good it looked. Like, there's some really beautiful shots. There's a lot of like outdoor shots. Of course, it's it's set in the 18th century. It's got um, Native Americans out there, um, and I love that aspect of it. I I I, I haven't thinking about this for a while. It's just that I, I would love more Native American, you know, stories. I don't mm-hmm. know that much. Um, out there, but I figured, man, it's got to be such like a, I don't know, maybe like a, um, a, a wealth of, of great stories that could be told, um, of just like a, a people that are incredibly fascinating. Um, but yeah, Trachtenberg, the king, I mean, the, the thing I kept thinking is like, should Trachtenberg, like, what if he made an alien movie? Oh, like, like I would love to see him. Just give him a different franchise too. Like I, I'm mm-hmm. writing this guy a blank check. What I saw with this is like I'm ready. Mm. Let him do what he wants. Jax calls out Reservation Dogs, which I think also might be on Hulu. That's another uh, show with quality representation. Yeah, I mean I hope that this turns into a franchise. That would be awesome. 
I know I saw a lot of reviews of people were like bummed that this wasn't a theatrical release, but I will say that probably more people saw Prey than otherwise would have if it was in theaters. I mean, like, Carter, would, would you have gone to see Prey in theaters if that was a theatrical movie? Like, even no. with the buzz? Probably not, right? No, probably not. Especially with probably the way it would have been marketed. Like, it, it wouldn't have felt like a AAA movie, you yeah. know? So like I, another I Predator movie? Like, yeah. there's mm-hmm. just no way it would have gone in theaters. Um, let's see. Let's say hello to some new patrons that joined this week. Bradley, Quentin, and Cameron all joined this week. They got access to the 70-millimeter vault of episodes just for supporters. Um, and those are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for supporters, but they don't get access to the VHS Village Discord. They don't get access to the discounts on Danny's prints and merch, which I don't think there's a there is a new 70mm hat. I don't think we mentioned it on the show. Top oh. Gun inspired design. Gorgeous. <laughs> um, and let's see, what else? So they actually, they have the details for the 70mm meetup that's happening at the end of August. The big meetup. We're so close. Screening a movie mm-hmm. in the greater Philadelphia area. We're going to have a nice afternoon. You know, have some drinks for people that partake in drinks. If you don't drink, that's okay, too. You can come along and have a great time with us. But that's happening the end of August. Pardo, how do you feel? So close. It's so close. And it's right in my backyard. And it's <laughs> and it's going to be hot. Uh, it's going to be steamy. Yeah, we're going to be together. We're going to be watching a movie. Have we announced our movie yet? We haven't. No, we haven't announced wow. the movie yet. It's going to be on the marquee when they walk up. Oh. I think the podcast name is going to be the marquee too. It's going to be like 70MM presents the movie the title. There's going to be people like banging on the door. Like, how do I get in here? Be like, it's Sorry. on the title. Sold out. If you don't have oh a God. Yeah. We should ask them to put sold out on there. <laughs> Even though there's still going to be a ton of seats. We're still going to just turn people away. <laughs> we're not filling this place up. No. Uh, and we also give out a free year of Letterbox Pro for people that share this show on social media. Um, get rid of ads, get access to your historical stats on Letterboxd, uh, and Morrow in Motion. Oh my God, that 70mm pod Princess Mononoke art is just gorgeous. I need a print cry emoji. <laughs> is that the greatest print Danny's ever done? That's the oh, buzz on the street. Stay tuned. I think it is. Goodness. So you saw Nope. Have you talked about Nope yet on this show? I don't think so, Danny. Let's hear it. No, I haven't. Uh, we saw Nope. This past weekend, and it's an incredible, fun time. Four stars. Jordan Peele's back, baby. Mm. Um, and Finally. I really loved this this um, movie. It's it was everything you said it would be. Slim the Amblin vibes. Uh, Thank you. I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it yet, but there's mm. there were some aspects of it um, that I assumed would be one thing, and it turned out to be another. And I liked that. I liked have being like surprised by the story, uh, especially when I thought it was. I thought I knew what, pretty much what was going to be going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a great cast, a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm excited to watch more about it. I'm watch like behind the scenes stuff. Did you pre-order a steel book by any chance from Best Buy? No, I did not. In case Sorry. you turn off, can you mute your phone real quick? Just Casey, if you're listening. <laughs> Casey probably pre-ordered before me. She loved it more than I did. <laughs> I can't believe this Steve Yoon guy hasn't caught on yet. <laughs> this is his breakout role. 
Yeah, I, I think he's going to be big. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't hear anybody talking about him, but he was in The Walking Dead. Do you know that? Did you know it's What's still it? on What's the air? It? Yeah, it's like season yeah. thirty or something. Jesus. All right, should we get into our feature prezo? This is the animated summer. Hold on, is there any movies that Slim watched that we need to talk about? You tell me before he slips. We could talk about his excellent episode with Gemma and Paul Shear this week. Oh, what a fantastic episode! Oh. Uh, you guys were great with Paul. Thank he was you. A great guest. Thank you very and much for listening. You guys had great conversations with him, and I I really liked that episode. Paul's mm. definitely someone you could easily vibe with, yeah. right in the wheelhouse of films that we love. He's one of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's white, he's middle-aged, and he likes movies, <laughs> but besides that, he also loves those 80s movies. So yeah, we had Paul Shear on the return episode of the Letterbox Show, the four faves format. He had Beverly Hills Cop, he had Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. he had Back to the Future and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. <laughs> My what God. a top four. I mean, I could do that episode in our sleep, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I was fun to talk with him about like because I, I think I made a point to bring up about how when I watched uh, Back to the Future most of my thoughts were like this is all like merch like that mm-hmm. I would want to buy like going through Doc's house and stuff mm-hmm. and uh, I got the impression that he was like the same way like he probably has so much junk in mm-hmm. his house from like his favorite movies and stuff but For yeah sure. really fun episode yeah great episode you guys mm, thank you part of any movies you watched, you logged a movie today, this Funny Pages movie. Mm. What is this movie? Yeah, it's an A24 movie that's coming out in a few weeks. It's directed by Owen Klein, the son of Kevin Klein and Phoebe Cates. Believe it or not, I didn't even know they were married. And the synopsis of the story of New York's next great comic book artist and biggest dick. Teenage cartoonist rejects the comforts of his suburban life in a misguided quest for soul. So our friend Chuck shared the trailer with us of like month, a couple months ago, and I had never heard of this movie. And then I was like, what an odd movie for A24 to make. Because it's like, I think the Safties produced it. Hmm. And it has that kind of like independent, uh, dirty, stressful, awkward vibe to it mm-hmm. that like reminds me of the Safties and their, and their films. So it follows this young kid trying to be a cartoonist. He's already very talented, but he's like, he left his family's house. They live in like Princeton, New Jersey. They're pretty well off. And he rents someone's like basement. And some of the scenes in this guy's basement are just like so, they made me want to like dry heave. It was like, imagine a Safdies infused, like you rent the worst apartment ever. (laughs) Uh, and it's just, you, you're like right next to the boiler, everyone's sweating and then you just want to like get out immediately. Um, but he befriends someone who like was a color separator for image comics. And he's this kind of like quirky kind of odd dude. And he tries to get this guy's like acceptance of his work because he's not getting it from his parents. I loved it. I gave it four and a half stars. I I'm anxious to see what the general public's response of it is because it's like an American cartoonist. Mm-hmm. not superhero comics, you know, like Robert Crumb, the the Crumb movie was like one thing that popped into my head when I was watching this. So I'm like, I don't know how many people are going to like really enjoy this, but I loved it. Mm, sounds awesome. Ron says you had me at comics, but the animated summer. Please. It's time. Akira, my pick. 
for perhaps the biggest month in the history of this show. Mm. Dale is checking the numbers. He's got the ticker tape machine in the, uh, in the office. He's checking it. He's looking at me. He's giving the thumbs up. Mm. Thank you, Dale. What's this movie? In 1988, Tokyo is destroyed, triggering World War III. From its ashes rises Neo-Tokyo, a future city of steel, concrete, and neon lights. Sick with corruption and capitalist greed, martial law is enacted as gangs patrol the capillaries of an undead city. Kanada leads his band of bikers against a rival gang, evading the law. But when young Tetsuo crashes his bike into a child, the fate of Neo-Tokyo, a vision of its past destruction, begins to come into focus. Secretly, the government has been working on a, a research project to understand and harness the power that destroyed the city. Beneath a stadium in cryonic storage is a power that lies dormant. It is a power that destroyed Tokyo and might be the only thing that can save it. Akira. those drums pumping right now oh, in mm-hmm. the background. God. Pumping. Ev has chills in chat mm-hmm. after Proto's synopsis. Got her. <laughs> <laughs> 1988. Danny, where were you? 1988. Where were you the first time you saw Akira? Oh, the first time I saw Akira would have been in the comics shop that I owned. Um, I didn't Rest watch it till later on in life. Um, and I watched it um, as I read through it, uh, the Dark Horse release of the of the comics. Um, so it wasn't until I was older. Um, yeah, because I, I, I wasn't big into anime. Ghibli was mm-hmm. all that I kind of watched. And so you always, I mean, Akira's always brought up in these conversations of, you know, most right. pivotal am, anime of all time, et cetera, for, at least for Western audiences. Mm-hmm. If not the world, so um, yeah, I was. It was later in life for me to see Akira. Pardo, I bought Akira on DVD, um, probably yeah, around fifteen years ago, and I never watched it. Oh my! <laughs> I don't know why. I th- I don't know. I I thought I might have watched it, but then when I turned it on, I was like, no, I definitely haven't seen this. So I don't know if I. I don't know if I maybe like started it and didn't get into it or what, but yeah, I just, this is one that has evaded me. I never got around mm-hmm. to watching it. So this mm-hmm. was the first viewing for me. Oh my. Yeah. I was trying to think if I maybe like watched this at a friend's house on tape or if it was a DVD, but I remember the vibe being that it was like, this ain't your dad's Disney movies. <laughs> like when you mm-hmm. get your hands on an anime and I guess this this was like a gateway anime. It, it didn't really like open up anime doors for me. I kind of like saw it and loved it. And then I was like, I guess I don't really need to see anything else <laughs> um, after that. Because like it's, if you're a young teenager around the time that this was like hitting the States, maybe like mid nineties, 
you're reading those image comics that I talked about, the Rob Liefeld comics, <laughs> and then you get your hands on Akira, you're like, F yes, this is insane. R-rated animation? Like that opens up like your worldview to what is like available. Mm. Um, and then over the years, I think I've seen this so many times that it's just kind of like has blurred into an experience. It's like less of a movie, if that makes sense. Oh, like you've, you've, you've heard the music, you've seen the famous shots. Um, so it was a lot of fun sitting down to just absorb it as a film because I, I think I said the last time I watched it was I, I fired the 4K while I was working. So I didn't really like kind of sit down to focus on it. What's it like um, having read the 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 manga that it's based on? It's like two, it, I think it's like over 2,000 pages. Yeah, it's 2,100 pages, six trades. And yeah. this only takes part of what? The first half of the first book? Yes, yeah, I think so. I haven't read it since we covered it on Paper Keg, but the main differences are like Akira is alive in the book and mm -hmm. is a character. And there, there's obviously so much more in the book, but I think it's like the first and like the last book are the main things. And something to keep in mind too is I believe that this movie came out two years before the strip ended. Yeah. So it's just like crazy to think oh. that he... And his team made a feature film about a book that wasn't even finished. So yeah. he had to like come up with an ending before the manga even saw an ending, which is crazy. So George R. R. Martin never saw Akira. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, if I, I I think it's worth mentioning too. Like if you enjoy the film and want, you know, like thousands of pages more, then the manga is a really fun experience, especially if you've never read a manga. You know, like this could be a good time to dip your toe in that. Um, I mentioned it last week, but like our main mistake was covering the entire manga in one episode. Like oh, I can't Ron believe you guys did that. Link to it in chat. But like, I remember specifically reading the book, I think with James in his bedroom in our apartment falling asleep. Oh my because gosh. at that time, he wouldn't let us leave his bedroom. Like when we went, when we put him to bed. So we had to put a chair, a rocking chair in his room. And I would sit there, read Akira. And then <laughs> our scheme to get out of this bedroom was to slowly move the rocking chair closer to the door every night. <laughs> and he never noticed. So like at the end of maybe like a couple of weeks or something, the chair was like out of the room and we didn't have to wait in the room with it anymore. I don't know how it worked, mm. but it did. I remember you telling that story on the show and me putting my, uh, I think because at that time, I, I might have had like my first, my first kid and I've kind of gone through the ringer with like bedtime. I mean, I'm still putting my three-year-old to bed. Um, but I, I always think I, 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 that story always comes back to me when I'm like laying in bed. I'm like, is there a way, is there any way that I could do this maneuver? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> There's no way logically that plan should work, but it did <laughs> with James. Um, so the first thing I'll, I'll go first since it was my pick, but the main thing that jumped out at me on this feeling are the backgrounds in this movie. The backgrounds are mm -hmm. gorgeous. Like, and I watched that YouTube making of, which is like 49 minutes or whatever. And they show the team painting the background, dotting the lights in the buildings. Insane. Oh my God. Just the backgrounds. I could watch a documentary on that entirely. what do you think, Danny? There's also, I mean, yeah, the background, the background work in this, 
I, I feel like is almost unmatched. It may be by Ghibli um, when it comes to cell animation with the painted backgrounds. Um, but this film really is the bar, I feel like, when it comes to the, the paintings. Uh, there's actually a, a gallery right now that's showcasing some of the original art of the backgrounds. I forget the name oh, of it. Oh, yeah. Was that, or was that our friend Tim that linked to no, that exhibit or did he okay. link to a book? Because I Tim remember they brought were... the book from the exhibit that oh, I sent him. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's a gorgeous, this film is, it's a, it's a masterpiece. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I felt like some of the background work, it seemed too good for the amount of time that some of the shots had on screen. Yeah. It was the, I felt like, should I be pausing this just to look at what I'm like, spend time looking at this? Because there's so many just amazing shots. Mm -hmm. I think I, I kept saying to myself, like, you know, when they, when they, when you talk about every picture being a painting, I mean, like this is literally that, mm -hmm. you know, you can, and you can, as you're watching, as I was watching it, you could just kind of almost like forget that just like the the work that would go into cr creating some of these images not not to mention that the parts that are animated they just are incredible in in the detail that they convey Denny uh, what's your number one of three things mm. uh, that you'll mention for well, our discussion? I'll roll into this because I do want to the animation in this um is is top tier. It is it's almost the best uh, cell animation that I feel like exists when it comes to hand drawn two D movies. And um, there's so much about how they did it. When you talk about frame rates, most most of them are the twelve. I think 12, 12 frames per second. But uh, they they were doing twenty four. Uh, they were, they were up in there's the 24 frames a second. So they were drawing 24 different images per second for this film. And you can just tell, you can tell the, the, the movement in some of the characters, the, the, there's a, there's a tracking shot that I always love where uh, Tetsuo is laying on his back on the ground. And it's like slowly panning to him as he's like laying backwards, but like, as it pans to him, like the ground is animated as well as him, as well as the fire in the background. And it's just, it's insane, this animation mm -hmm. from beginning to end. There's never a moment where I'm like, that could have been done better. Uh, or that looked a little bit off. There's so yeah. much about this film where I'm just honestly forget I'm even having to keep up with a story. I'm just kind of drooling over these images. Mm. There's also, I think, what's like one of the famous things that gets called out is the light, the brake lights on the motorcycles, oh my God. like that oh, animation yeah. the and the burn-ins, yeah. yeah, the how the lights kind of like stay and have that ghosting effect. There's also the one, I think, the one shot one of the Joker gang maybe gets like knocked off a motorcycle, but it's he like falls in slow motion, and it's, I mean, this movie. 1988 or around a few years, depending on what release you saw, like it's still top notch. Mm -hmm. Like so, like you just said, like this is still some of the best animation I've ever seen, even today. Mm -hmm. And seeing it in the mid nineties, you're like, I mean, just imagine that like you're, you're decades ahead of the game for a lot of the animated movies you'll watch at, at that age. Yeah. Th yeah. I was, I was blown away by that. And and I, as I was watching this, and this kind of this leads into my point is that um, the, the amount of like inspiration that this gave to people mm. in terms of 
like I'm sure there's people who watch this and are like, I want to be an animator, you know, just just like set the the course of people's careers or just like different passions and and just the way or just t- took it and put it into other, you know, whatever they were working on. Um, and that was the thing that I was that was fun watching this for the first time and just seeing different references that were like like kind of like smacking me in the forehead, like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. like this has to be why it was a certain way. And the ones that um that stood out to me. So the one character, um, the doctor, that like the scientist, Onishi, right. um seeing him, like the way he talked, the way he moved, everything about him, his mannerisms in the in the game's Half-Life that Valve put out, there's mm-hmm. there's scientist characters in that game, and they are exactly <laughs> this character <laughs> like, and as I'm watching, I'm like, Oh my God, like they had to be just, a, they just had to be copying this um, as an homage. Like mm-hmm. it has to be because it's, it's, it's so, it's so um, particular and the voice, everything about it seemed like a, a direct reference. Yeah. But I was, but I, and I'm sure there's probably like tons of stuff in pop culture that is reference. Of course, you know, the thing you always see is like the bike slide, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Is there other things that you guys are aware of or just like that are famous? Uh, I meant to, I was going to bring up with Matt, if you knew about Bart Kira. Yes. Uh, I think Ismail even brought that up in chat. So I have Bart Kira on my bookshelf. Yeah. Uh, so there is like an indie, um, almost like anthology esque version of like the first bit of Akira, but it's Simpson characters. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It's gorgeous. They're, all mm-hmm. the artists are so talented in it, but that is a really fun comic book if you can get your hands on it. So the making of that I watched, um, sorry, I'll get to Proto's point real quick. The making of that I watched included voice, like an English dub. So I was like glad to see it. I was like, oh, an English dub making of? documentary mm-hmm. and some of the lines in the scenes like is the guy who's voicing over this documentary doing the voices because they don't sound like what i've heard so i didn't know that there was an original english dub that this like the electric media dub that mm-hmm. came out first i've only ever heard the pioneer dub which i guess is like the 2000s one that first electric media dub is terrible yeah it's pretty <laughs> like, bad it's, Not really. so, it's so bad the guy the guy who does uh canada is leonardo from the mm-hmm. original ninja turtles animated series and i was like i couldn't believe it was like mind-blowing that i didn't know that there was another dub and it just sounds like it's not good in my opinion mm. i think the the current canada is the black ranger from one of the uh, Power Ranger episode TV shows, not the oh, okay. Mighty Morphin, obviously, but right. I was going to ask which version you guys watched. Did you watch the dub or the original language? Dub version? for sure. I watched the dub on the new 4K release, so it would have been the new voices, and it was yeah. perfectly fine. Yeah, that's what I watched the dub too. I ended up going to the original language version for the final act. I was actually starting to get a little bit bored with the. English stuff. <laughs> I've heard it too often the last, the last year, but I was like, uh, I think I'll go to something new. My second point is Tetsuo. God damn it. Using like <laughs> Tetsuo, using his powers, learning, like getting powers is so rad and scary. Like his missing arm when he is like doing battle with the soul, like laser and, he forms a new arm 
that is so cool. All that mm. stuff is so cool. And then when he's like freaking out, there's one scene where he's freaking out when his his powers first start and he doubles over on his knees and his like in his head, his guts are falling out and he's, mm. and there's no audio, but he's like pulling his, trying to pull his guts back in. Mm-hmm. Like that warped me when I saw this as a kid. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this is insane. Um, and like just the character, he's so badass in this movie. And when he f- goes to like that bar that like dr- where they buy the drugs, the underground bar, he takes the drugs and then his friend is on the ground. And he like turns around and sees Tetsuo's evil face. Mm. And then the music hits. Magic. Oh my God. So cool. <laughs> I mean, Tetsuo is my, my also next point, but the, my, I think Tetsuo is my favorite part of the whole movie. As much as Kanada is such an iconic character, like visually and his bike and all that kind of stuff, Tetsuo's character story arc is so much more compelling in this uh, mm-hmm. movie going from his latent telekinesis powers being unlocked and then all the way to the end. It's the, it's, it's his storyline is incredible. I, and I just, it's, it's what I love the most about this film. Yeah. I think the scenes that, that hit me the hardest in this were his hallucination scenes. Like those, those, I think there's three of them. Um, and by the third one, it was like, you're like, you're like gripping the side of the couch. Like, Oh, here we go again. <laughs> What's about to happen? Cause they just kept upping the ante. But I felt like the man, those scenes with that character, especially the way it builds, like you're saying, um, just at first, like he has no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then I think, I think it's the second one is where he has the hallucination with like the teddy bear mm-hmm. and, and the, the car or whatever. But he like he like sits up and then he like puts his hand out and the cup of water just goes to his hand. Yeah, you know, so like he's like starting to gain these powers but doesn't even realize it. Mm-hmm. Like, and then of course he you know he comes to the realization of the power that he has and he can wield it in some way. But that's such like a such like a, a great ramping up of that. But those hallucination scenes, I think, man, it, talk about trying to imagine what a, like a, a psychotic break possibly could feel like for mm-hmm. someone who hasn't had one um that feels like maybe maybe what it could be like i you know of course i have no idea but right. i felt like i was kind of like losing my mind watching this <laughs> mm-hmm. danny did you watch that making up doc by any chance i'd seen it before i didn't want rewatch it for this there was um i was gonna bring up uh tetsuo's girlfriend is it kaori where there's like that brutal assault scene that mm-hmm. happens and which I totally forgot about when I was watching. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God. Um, but even odder is in the documentary, the interviewer brings up how Otomo doesn't draw like cute girls. And they're like, it's like a criticism of his. And they ask him like, why don't you draw cute girls? And he like laughs it off and he's like, oh, I just... You know, never felt like the need to do it, but I guess if it'll, you know, be more successful, maybe I'll start drawing cute girls. And then the narrator is like, now let's take a look at Kaori. She's kind of cute, don't you think? (laughs) (laughs) Strangest thing. Oh my God. It was so dated and like disgusting, honestly, Mm -hmm. um, in that documentary. But I, I know that 
you know, manga and anime traditionally have like different perceptions and its own problems with, you know, women in movies or uh, in movies and the books, but yeah, very dated, very uncomfortable to watch the documentary. That's <laughs> <laughs> it is cool though. In this movie, just seeing even the, the way the faces are drawn and how they're just, you know, clearly different than what you get from, it feels like, um, like 95% of, yeah. of anime mm-hmm. or like mainstream anime. Um, so that's even cool. Just seeing the different, just the mm-hmm. different way they were drawn, I guess, from the manga. Taco says Tetsuo's hairline is worse than Keaton's in chat. <laughs> it always feels like Otomo and Miyazaki purposely set themselves apart from mainstream uh, anime styles. Like you could, mm-hmm. you visually know when you're seeing the two different movies for sure. Out says set apart from, if you showed me like, uh, Lupin or Dragon Ball Z, a random shot, I'd be like, I don't know what this is at all. Mm. But I, I could know if I'm seeing a Miyazaki film or anything like that. Yeah, that's true. Did you want to give a different number two, Danny, or pass? No, just proto? move on. God, sorry, sorry, everybody. <laughs> proto number two. Um, I love some of the shots. I thought like the storytelling in this was brilliant. Just about like in a thematic way, like some of the images were just so. Um, just so clear, like one of the the shots um, where they're in the sea, I can't remember why it happens, but all the glass of like the skyscrapers start breaking. Mm. And then like all the people there are like, just like running for cover. And I just thought like, like this, this picture of like a, like a post-capitalism of like the, the, the system coming crashing down on the people who are there, you know, as like the the city the city of glass is shattering falling on them mm. i thought that was like such a such like a brilliant way to like communicate that without without just like you know saying it mm-hmm. um also just the idea of like the power that one person can have through technology right these like these kids are developing this esp and they're they're you know that the, the the government doesn't know what it's really doing, but just the idea that like, well, as we develop this new technology, you know, what power can one person have if, you know, if they're, if they're in charge of it. And I just think of that in terms of like where we are now with our world where, you know, we have like these billionaires who are just running these companies and they have all this power because of, you know, these products or this technology that they wield. Um, so even you know even that um another thing i loved was the um the doctor the 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 doctor where he is um where is he he says um he's excited about like these unknown particles that he's discovering but literally like the world around him is ending <laughs> and he's like very excited about finding this of just like how how like nearsighted we can be in terms of you know the, the larger picture, you know, mm. we can get so focused on what's in front of us, but like, you know, we're, we're missing the forest for the trees mm. kind of thing. Um, so I, I just thought there were so many like beautiful storytelling moments in that where you don't even have to, I don't think fully understand what's going on in this movie to appreciate like those small vignettes of, of just them, them telling the story through what you're seeing on the screen. Right. <sighs> Spiritual advisor. Goodness. Ladies and gentlemen, my number three, I have a lot of honorable mentions, but my number three is probably the final act. Uh, sorry, Danny. And 
it's actually mainly because I had already forgotten, like, if Akira, like, what was the story with Akira? Like, is Akira in this? I can't remember, like, what they did in the movie version. Yeah. But the, the, like, the scheme of him going underground to see this, like, badass cryogenic chamber that allegedly Akira is so powerful and he's hidden away in this and he wants to free him. That is so badass. I love mm. it. The way it's designed too, he like brings it above ground and then it's revealed to him that Akira is dead, long dead. It's just like his his organs in here are just preserved for the potential scientific need down the line. Oh my God, I loved it. Loved it. Loved mm. it. And and that's not even talking about the the final fight between the two friends, which is also amazing. Let it out. <laughs> that's that would be that, okay, that that'll be my third then. Okay. Because that's that's really is when I sit up in my seat. Because it <laughs> it that final fight when when Tetsuo is sitting on the throne after his arm got blasted off from the orbital cannon or whatever, and he forms it into the chair, he starts it's freaking out and it starts building and it becomes that amalgamation of tentacles and like bodily, I don't know what you want to call his arm becomes. It is bulbous. It is horrendous. And I, I can't look away. It's one of the most insane animations that exists. And I, I love that final, that final act. It's incredible. There's so much about uh, Tetsuo and him trying to survive it, but he, he engulfs his girlfriend. He ends up killing her. He, he sucks in Canada as well. And it's just, it's insane. Like it's insane. The animation in that final act. It was riveting just not knowing what's going to happen. Cause I, I wasn't sure like, can Tetsuo be, can he be killed at this point? Like when the, the orbital cannon blows off his arm, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I guess, I guess he can be, seems like he, you know, he is mortal still in some, so like he could be killed. And then him in Canada, like having that fight with the late, I was like, Canada, what are you doing, dude? Run. <laughs> you can't win this. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to win this. Um, but in even, yeah. And then you get, you get like Akira so like he's, his part is so small. I love that though, where the kids are standing there like, oh, he's here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then not even really fully understanding what necessarily happens there of like, you know, they're clearly kids, but they have some greater understanding of what's going on. Um, and then they seem to maybe have a plan, but they're still just kids. So are they not sure what they're doing? Like, is this a good solution? Like what's really happening here? Um, there's, there's so many things going on at the end there mm. and, and having no, I had like no idea what was going to happen. You know, you're just like clueless watching this for the first time. Um, so I found it like riveting just to, just to see where it was going. And then, and then seeing, you know, I guess like the, the explosion at the end or, or whatever that's supposed to be. I mean, it's really compelling. Like, I just want to watch it again. You actually, you need to read the book. That's what I, I would love for you to do, oh. is read it. I was looking at that box. This is one of the so. few times where I can be like, <laughs> the book is better than the movie, even though this film is so good. The mm. book is so, it's so good. 
I There's mean, so much more Akira. Even if you just Google like Akira book covers, like <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, the various throne shots are insane. I think the worst part is, I mean, those weren't even really kids. I think they were, they're like Espers. thirty years older than yeah. the actual main cast. But I think due to the drugs, they oh. kind of like their bodies have mm. almost reverted. Yeah, I mean, when Akira comes in and just saves the day, takes Tetsuo to a new universe. Uh, sends Canada back. I mean, it's and then they see the flashbacks. It's it's an incredible finale. Mm. There's an animation bit that I love. It's when um, Tets, uh, Kanada's on his bike. He's wearing the yellow shirt. He's got the the laser rocket launcher, and it breaks the ground it's on, and it lifts up one side, and his bike starts sliding down it, and he's like driving up it sideways while also fighting. Tet- There's something about that animation that is like brilliant. It mm. just gets me every. I, I I wait for that moment because I don't know why I like it, but it's insane. Otomo, please. Party, do you have a number three? Um, I don't know. We've we've really covered. Um, I feel like most of my notes. Um, the only other thing was maybe like oh another homage that I wasn't. Have you guys seen um Afro Samurai? Yeah, negative. Do you know the teddy bear character in that? Do you know? <laughs> Yeah. I was wondering if that was like an homage to this as well. Um mm. just with that that bear. Um I actually wonder if the car from that scene is f- like from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It reminds me of that car a lot. Oh, the, I like the uh I like the scene when their friend um Yamagata dies and he says I got to send Yamagata his wheels and he just oh, runs the yeah. bike into the that wall. Was cool. <laughs> That's a great little bit. That um, was cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like there's, there's so much in this that it's hard to digest on one viewing. So I, I, I really, you know, just want to see it again. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, oh. I mean, I love this movie. I'll just say now, I mean, this is a five banger for me. <laughs> oh I mean, come my on. God. <laughs> this movie Let's is go. something special. Yeah, it really, it really is. Five bang. My God. Uh, let's see some of my honorable mentions. Um, I love K more in the manga. Like mm-hmm. there's a little bits and pieces of K where like she starts to, it looks like she's like, are she using powers? She like ready and raring to go here. But then she like kind of just fades away towards the end, which is kind of a bummer in the movie. Mm. I mean, in general, you could say that about any of the women in the movie, unfortunately. Uh, let's see. Oh, the, one of the comparisons I have for the animation style is, do you remember as a kid watching like the G.I. Joe intro or the X-Men intro. And it had the coolest animation. Like they spent yeah. their budget there yeah. and they yeah. never got back to that. But mm, it's like the entire movie is this. And the Ninja Turtles too had the best animation of the intro. Oh my God. So that was like something I thought of when I fired this up. That like you're getting a whole movie of that animation style. Um, James <laughs> left the room after 20 minutes. He thought it was dumb. Uh, Not yet, be- James. To be fair, we were, we started it together upstairs because my 4K player is downstairs. I started on Hulu. I thought the Hulu version was a was a downer. There was a lot of uh, like pixelation and compression happening oh, really? on the on the animation. So I highly recommend if people maybe were bummed with the Hulu presentation. I'm not sure the Tubi version. I didn't watch it on Tubi, but the maybe there's an HD version that's a little bit better if you rent it. The general, we didn't talk about the general, but I loved when he like crapped his pants when the Akira vault 
comes above ground. <laughs> he just like loses it and goes two in his pants. Um, his bulbous arm. Yeah, I'm also five stars oh my for gosh. Akira. Mm-hmm. The, this movie and the memories around it are just totally ingrained in my childhood and growing up that, like I said earlier, it's like an experience at this point. And there are flaws in it, uh, especially when you compare it to the manga. So hopefully people give the manga a shot and, and maybe try something new. Danny? I don't really have, I'm trying to think, one of my favorite bits is kind of front kicking the guy off the bike. Um. Yeah, this is easily five stars. This movie <gasps> is uh, an, a masterpiece in of animation and storytelling, and uh, it's it's not perfect, but it's 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 incredible. It's an it's an incredible film, and uh, if you get the chance to check out the book, please do because there's there's a lot of pauses, a lot of like intentional pauses in the book that give a lot more weight to what the people of Neo Tokyo have been through. And uh, I don't think they give a little bit more of that emotion in the movie as much as they do in the book. So, mm. um, yeah, this movie's this movie's incredible. According to Viger, the supercomputer who loves movies that Proto built with his blood and sweat, the average rating for Akira with our supporters is four point two right now. Oof. Very high. That's a Very high. high. Isn't there a doc circulating around that like? the highest rated um, villager movies. Is that real? Oh gosh, what could it be? It's probably into the Spider-Verse. Oh yeah. That's probably true. That was high. We did, was the Batman trending higher than into the Spider-Verse at one time? Oh, I I don't know. That could be true also. Yeah, I do remember we were talking about that. There was a movie that was going to maybe unseat Spider-Man, but I'm not sure. Mm, Akira. We did it. We have some feedback to get to as well. Oh, goodness. Uh, Let's see. You can send us an email, voice message from your cell phone at 70mmpod.com or uh, 70mmpod at gmail.com. Diego leaves us a message. Hey, guys. Just want to thank you for the incredible content and art you've put out. You've helped me a lot this past month. Since I moved from Tijuana, Mexico to San Francisco, practically alone. Listening to you guys every day has really improved this new life I'm living. I laugh so much and learn new things too on every episode. And I'm pretty sure I'll be a first time ever patron starting next week. Thanks again and love you guys. P.S. The Kenobi series really does suck. That's from Diego. Uh, Nice job. Nice job, Diego. Bless you. There's the art. Danny, did it's you, out. um, he put it out. Did, did you, did you know you were going to do the bike? Did you I know have you to had, do the bike? You had to do the the bike. bike is, it's so iconic. It really is. And I meant to say when you were talking about other, it was in uh, ready player one. Uh, it's in the book and Spielberg put ah, it in the movie too. Oh, ready player one. Can you imagine the state of the discord if ready player one had come out? If the discord was a thing. <laughs> I wouldn't. I probably. You would have muted every channel in the Discord. I would have retired. Let's see, dear friend Gabe. Sorry for the lengthy email subject line. Hi, to be army, rise up, love you. Bye. It's from Gab. Hmm. To be army, I love to be. 
Love it. Yeah. You know? Tubi's there when you need it. Yeah. Mm. Tubi's there when you can't afford the $14.99 Hulu sub or whatever it's going up to with Disney. You know? Exactly. Andy. Orlandy has <laughs> left a VM. Let me pull out my VM machine. What is up, 70 millimeter? It is Andy calling from Orlando. Uh, I'm going to make this super quick. Thank uh, you. I am not done with this movie. I haven't <laughs> finished it. I have about an hour left. My, God. Um, my goal is to watch it before you guys record tonight. But anyways, what I know about this movie or what I knew about this movie was I remember being about 10 years old and seeing a, a commercial late at night for like mature, you know, R-rated Japanese anime. And seeing a commercial for this movie for Akira, and it was terrifying. I had no <laughs> idea what I was watching. The only anime, the only like cartoon that, you know, cartoons I was familiar with was all Disney stuff. And so, yeah, seeing that commercial as a kid scared the crap out of me. Um, and yeah, an hour into this movie. Yeah, it is mature, but it is, I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, I'll share my thoughts. I'll log it on LB. Uh, when I'm done with it. But anyways, that's all I remember. Actually, I had, I linked, I put the link in the email slim, but anyways, that's what I knew. That's all I knew about this movie going into it was that terrifying um, commercial. So yeah, um, I can't wait to hear the episode and I'm excited for the meetup. It's going to be awesome later this month. Mm. Uh, love you guys. I'll talk to you, talk to you guys later. Bye. Andy calling his pastor midway through Akira just to make his way through it. Needs assistance. He's got to repent. Yeah, it's mature. <laughs> uh, Andy, so I linked the the YouTube video in chat, and yeah, I mean, seeing that as a kid, you I mean it's 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 a new life, it's a whole new mm. world, you know. Uh, before we move on to Danny's pick, mm. I forgot to mention it was mentioned in Discord today. So by the time this episode is out and about, um. <laughs> By the time this episode is out and about, you know, we talked about Ian, a uh, former producer of the show. He's the host of the Synonauts podcast. They traverse through the Criterion Collection. That's their angle on their pod with our friends Catcher and Boom. But I was a guest on the oh most God. recent episode uh, talking about none other than the best movie in the Criterion, Robocop. Oh my Oliver Hoven's own. Oh my Robocop. So I had a delightful time. We'll have a link in the episode notes uh, to that episode. By all means, check it out. People might remember Ian from our Stranger Things episode. What an app, right? What an app. Shock Drop. Yeah. Remember that? Thank you, Ian. I do. Shock Drop. So that's the last thing I'll say before we get to Danny's pick for the animated summer. Listen, the two of you picking... uh, Animated films from the, the loser bracket of this poll we did forced was almost forcing my hand, <gasps> but it didn't. I'm sorry oh. to say, uh, I, I'm not picking Prince of Egypt. I'm not picking anything else on this list. I was locked in from day one. And basically in the past when I've made choices that go against my gut, they've been bad choices. <laughs> this time I'm going with my gut. Oh, boy. I'm picking a film from the Disney archives. We're going to do Brother Bear. I knew (laughs) knew it. it. I freaking knew it. It is time. (laughs) 
Brother Bear. We're doing Brother Bear. My God. I, you know, if we had done Ooh. another phase month, I wondered if that was when we were going to get Brother Bear. <laughs> I'm looking at we're it gonna right do now. It. Brother Bear. Who did the music in Brother Bear? You know Williams. Phil. Phil Collins. Our boy. Wow. Oh, my God. When an impulsive boy named Can I is magically transformed into a bear, he must literally walk in another's footsteps until he learns some valuable life lessons. His courageous and often zany journey introduces him to a forest full of wildlife, including the lovable bear cub, Coda, hilarious moose, rut, and took woolly mammoths and a rambunctious ram. Mm. Hold up. Yeah. This stars the voice acting uh-huh. of none other than Joaquin Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? Big, big time. He, he is the brother bear. Big, big. Wow. How young was he? 2003. I, st- I feel like this is incredibly underrated. And I'm excited for you guys to watch it. It's all been leading to this. Uh-huh. This is one of those movies Danny's always talking about. Talking about Brother Bear. Never gets the respect. No respect. That it deserves. Mononoke and Akira, sit down. Sit down. It's time. <laughs> Joaquin, stand up. <laughs> Brother Bear streaming on Disney Plus next week. Holy smokes. <laughs> Dylan in our um, Discord. Two stars. He's brother. pissed. He's so pissed right you now. Want, just say the word. I'll give him a timeout right now. Just okay. say the word. And seconds. it'll happen. All right. So earlier in the show, we were talking about the ILM oh. television program. Speaking of Disney Plus. Mama We have to get into this. The history of ILM. I mean, ILM is like behind every movie that we love in our age group. Right? Right. Right. Right, right. Uh Yeah. We So this ILM show, they have footage I guess they recorded everything over the years and they're they little like it all. eight millimeter handsets or whatever. So the footage, I've never seen any of this, like literally any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's insane. It tells this, the history of them making Star Wars before it was officially ILM um, and then forming ILM and the problems they had while making the, the trilogy. It's nuts. Nuts. It's nuts. nuts. But what did you think going through? I'm not sure how far you are. Uh, I'm, I think I'm midway episode four. So at Have this you made point, it to Poltergeist? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I made that it to, is insane. I'm yeah. at like the, where they're talking about Pixar. I think he had like okay. just sold it to Steve Jobs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, this gave me like an incredible appreciation for George Lucas. Like, oh, holy crap. Is is he like my hero at this point? Oh my like, gosh. The, the, like his vision, what he was able to create. And uh, he has an amazing quote about what it takes to be a director. Or I think that's what he like, what, what, what it takes to be a director. And he just says, it's like persistence. Um, because even as I'm, as I was watching this, I was like, is Star Wars actually real? <laughs> Did they actually make this movie? These movies? Because it's mm. like, how did they actually make this stuff? When you see the behind the scenes, yeah. God, I'm Dennis. So, like, Dennis is it? Dennis Mirren? Dennis Mirren. Yep. I mean, full disclosure, I don't even know who that was before I started watching this show. I didn't, was not a Dennis Mirren like nut. Like, I'm not an ILM nut. 
Like okay. I know Lucas, I know um, Phil Tippett, and there's a few other dudes on the show that Joe I might Johnson. recognize. Joe Johnson. So Joe Johnson, like I kind of even, I know Joe Johnson, but there was never been a connection that like Joe Johnston, famous director to most people, but was like at ground zero of ILM, integral to producing Star Wars, like that entire like grouping of films from those like decades. And not, I just got to the episode, I think Proto just got there too. But at a certain point, Joe Johnson's like burned out. And he's like, Completely. you know what, George, I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to use some of the money that I've made here, which I assume is a lot. <laughs> and he's still young. He looks like he's in his early 30s. He's like, I'm going to travel the world. And George says, you need to go to film school. Like, what mm -hmm. if instead of that, you go to film school? And then Joe Johnson's like, what have I been doing? Like, literally, like, I've been in film. Wouldn't you consider what I've been doing at ILM, like, film school? And in my head, I was like, yeah, tell that dude to beat off. Like, mm -hmm. you, you've you been Excuse making me? all these movies. What more do you need to learn? So then George tells him, like, I'll put up the tuition for you to go to school. And then, you know, call me later. We'll see what happens. And he does. He, like, goes, where did he go? Do you remember the school he went to? It, was, it wasn't USC. USC. Yeah, USC. Yeah, that's where George went. And then after he's done school, he gets a gig doing Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And then that catapults him from there. To the like, Rocketeer. Oh my. Captain America like, First that Avenger. That whole journey is yeah. insane for Joe Johnson. Like, And I had no idea that that was the backstory. I mean, let alone, he, he drew the Millennium Falcon. He created the Millennium Falcon. Like one of the most, if not the most iconic starship of all time. So it's the stories that you can, I mean, there's so much of Phil Tippett in this that is, yeah. I could sit and listen to Phil talk about all this for another 12 hours. I mean, it's incredible the amount of Phil Tippett footage. And what, what I said last time, it was, I just, I'm just happy they're all alive, that they could record these memories uh, and have these interviews and talk about the up the starting up of ILM because it's it's something that's incredibly fascinating for anyone who loves movies, making of movies. This is like the dream. The the thing that I, I like couldn't get over is like I I'm like I'm, I'm I wanted to just go and watch Star Wars again because mm -hmm. I think the, the like of course the magic of Star Wars is as a kid. And what was interesting, I think at one point someone says like, you know, one of your biggest critics is the 10 year old who's watching the movie. And if they think it looks funny, then you know, you've like lost them. And the thing about star Wars is like, as a kid, I, I never, I never like the thought, it never even crossed my mind that this stuff was fake, mm. which, you know, is like, uh, of course it's a movie. Right. But like when you're in it and you're watching it, you don't really think about like, Oh, someone had to make all this stuff. You know, you're just enjoying, you're just like soaking it in. So as I'm watching this documentary and you're seeing the sets that they built by hand, like literally every single thing in the movie, every single detail is made by hand. It just, it just like makes your appreciation go up for this. And like, honestly, I was like, cause they even talk about it of like the, the, like the grinder that making these movies was. And I mean, it truly had to be because they're making these elaborate sets by hand and the shot could have been like, you know, 20 seconds or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they've got a two hour movie to make of this. 
and so like the dedication that these guys had and also like the environment that you like that they're in of of just being creative and like you said like they're all like they all are across different disciplines like you know joe mm-hmm. johnson he's like doing storyboards but then he's like painting figures he's like doing backgrounds mm-hmm. you know he's they're, they're all doing everything um so i think in terms of like just the, the creativity behind it and, and what they had there and like how these people even came together to be at this spot at the same time to do this is just really incredible mm. one of the things that always gets me when watching these is how they had to make the things that make the movies. Like they didn't have the cameras or they didn't have the programs like John Knoll coming in and creating Photoshop. Like I use Photoshop every day of my life for the past how many years. And it's like, this was created for ILM to work, to make these movies. And it's just, like when they, when they brought John Nolan, he's like this young kid. He wants to get a job in ILM. Full disclosure, <laughs> I didn't realize that, that guy made Photoshop. <laughs> me neither. So, like when he was telling like me and my brother made this rudimentary photo app and we're editing things. And then someone tells us we could turn this into a commercial app or a commercial product. They didn't call it an app back then. And then like the next shot is like Photoshop developed <laughs> by so and so. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like I had no clue. When, it's uh... just insane. When I did Star Wars Celebration Chicago, um, uh, one of the last days, John Knoll was walking around the art the art show, and no one was stopping him. And I'm like, guys, this is John Knoll. So he comes by, and I stop him. I was like, hey, John, nice to meet you. He's like, I love your art. I'm like, thank you. Shut up. And he... Um, <laughs> I was like, thank you for Photoshop. And he just laughed. And I was like, I use it every day, buddy. <laughs> and he was just great. Super nice. It was awesome. Yeah, there was a couple, I can't remember. I didn't write it down, but there was a few lines about how, you know, early on in the series, some of these guys were able to turn, like they're making these home movies. First of all, they're making these insane oh home gosh. movies. I don't know how it was possible back then. <laughs> it's like, it just blew my mind. The technology mm-hmm. they were using to create what they did but they were like talking about how they turned like some of the things they love like their hobbies like i love doing this i combined this hobby with this hobby into something brand new and they turned that into like something they love like they were able to create a job and a role out of something they love to create and yeah. you always hear that like uh they get a day job that you love doing you'll never work a day in your life <laughs> Um, but, but this was like the epitome of that, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're creating yeah. monsters. They're, they're developing the new technology that does not exist. And it was just insane to see. Mm. How about the matte paintings? The matte paintings were the most insane things. Like you hear story about, about the star Wars matte paintings. There was a shot where they're pulling out the full size matte paintings on glass and I almost passed out <laughs> like this is like the Mona Lisa of nerd uh-huh. Uh-huh. like dumb it, it, I couldn't believe it couldn't believe it also to see old footage of Ralph McQuarrie like I've only yeah. ever I feel like I've only ever seen him old uh, and I have uh, have a signed print from him and I wish he was still around but to see old Ralph or young Ralph in this old footage was kind of mind-blowing Mm-hmm. Yeah, him just working on um, 
uh, Cloud City. The Cloud like, he's just City like in stuff. a room. They have, and he's just like, nah, you know, he's like dabbing <laughs> away <laughs> on the painting. This is inc- incredible. Just seeing, mm. and just like him talking about, oh yeah, you know, George, he wanted, uh, you know, he wanted a city up in the clouds. So, uh, you know, I started thinking about it and it's like, ta-da, there it is. <laughs> Cloud City. So Unbelievable. Great. Also, but it was just cool the, to see oh, to see how like they filmed with matte paintings. Like they would yeah. put that over the film, and they would just have the shot of them walking on deck be the only thing that was visible in between the matte painting, and that's how they did it. It's just so cool to see. Yeah, it's insane. And uh, yeah, the the idea that none of this technology or a way to do VFX like this existed before, um, and just the just the fact that like. Like George is like, well, I'll just do it myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like no one else is going to do it for me. So I'll just form a company. Um, and like his role in all of this is just so incredible of, of being a visionary and, um, and being able to get the best out of people. Like, of course, these people are insanely talented, but he also, there's like a lot of scenes where he's like, asked them, like, can you do this? And they're like, no, it's impossible. He's like, well, think about it. Uh, <laughs> see if you can do it. And, like, and they would figure it out. Yeah. So he just like had a way of getting things out of people. And even the beginning where he talks about, you know, he he had this script. And of course, you know, he couldn't sell it. So he does American graffiti to like prove that he can make a movie. Just the fact that like he, he would go and do that. And it's like, now, now I proved that I can do it. Now I want to make Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And and, and like the stress that he was under um, and him, like the whole film filming process. I just like, yeah, I just have like an amazing appreciation for George Lucas now. Gosh. This was probably the first time where I, I felt his explanation of how disappointed he was that he was still wasn't able to fully realize his version of Star Wars in that oh first movie. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Like him explaining... I think there was archival footage of him saying how like he was still disappointed in a lot of the technology that he was forced to deal with in the theatrical release. And that was like, I would never have thought I would feel that way. I'm like, well, all right, make your own version, I guess. Like, I feel mm, bad now. Come back uh, around. <laughs> yeah, I did start to come back around. Um, so I, I, I totally have a, like a, an enhanced appreciation for George Lucas after, I'm not even finished the documentary yet. Um, and I'm at the point where they're starting to get more into the computer graphics and some of the ILMers are realizing that like, this is happening, whether we like it or not, I need to learn. And Dennis Murin is really ahead of the ball. Like he knows that this is it. He's interested in it. And then at one point he says that he finishes a, a show. I love how they all call them shows. I think t- our friend Tim does the same thing. He calls these movie production shows. He's like, I was, I, we just finished this show and I take a year off. I go back, I buy computer science books, computer graphics books. He takes a year off to then learn how to be a better, you know, visual artist with computers. It's just nuts. Like hearing some of that stuff. The drive that they had just to, always be better is inspiring for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all their love for the, uh, you know, digital art, just as this was coming in, they, they, it seemed across the board, they were uni- unanimous. Like this, this is, I only want to work in digital now. Like this is the future. 
Uh, and just hearing that because it was so often like, you know, we joke about it, but are serious too of like, oh, practical effects. We love them. Like they're, they're so great. Can we get back to that? But hearing all these guys who built all the things we love, just loving digital and like mm-hmm, never wanting yeah. to go back to practical is <laughs> cool. really interesting. How cool was it when John Knoll as like a 13 year old, 15 year old got the tour of ILM and he sees like something I think at the time the Pixar team was working on, the computer graphics team. They had this like computer generated thing and John Knoll like almost has like a heart attack. He's like, this is the future. Like, mm. do you not realize what this means? Everything's going to change. And he was right. So it's 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 an insane doc. It's definitely one of the best ones I've seen in a very long time. I'm excited for you guys to finish it. I really am. Next week, brother, brother bear, bear. brother bear. I don't even know if that's a real line. I just always have that in my head that that's like from a trailer, like maybe the end of the trailer. <laughs> like, brother bear. I'm going to limb and say they don't say brother bear <laughs> in the trailer. <laughs> <This movie. laughs> brother bear. Uh, Prado, any closing thoughts? As uh, we're not at the end of the animated summer, we're getting pretty close. Um, no, I don't really have anything. Go watch this ILM documentary. Be changed for the better. Go forth and be changed. We'll see everybody next week. Millimeter is a tape deck production featuring original artwork provided by Danny Haas. Spiritual Guidance and V'ger, the robot who loves movies, provided by Pertalexis. Producer at large, Dale underscore A. Transcripts provided by Sophie Shin and music composed by Cinematric. Prints and other merch are available on 70mmpod.com. This episode was mixed, edited, and produced by me. Slim. Support our Patreon for access to our VHS Village Discord to talk movies with new friends, access to our exclusive episodes in the 70mm vault, discounts on merch, uncut episodes, and a physical membership card mailed to you. To check out other Tape Deck podcasts, find the link in the episode notes. And if you'd like to support our friends at Letterboxd and upgrade to pro or patron status, you can do so with a 20% off discount using the links on 70mmpod.com. Goodbye. This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. Mm-hmm.